Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. We are recording this on Tuesday, September the 21st, 2021 at about 8.55 a.m. So I lied a little bit. I uh, tweeted out that I was going to record at 9 a.m. I'm five minutes early. Uh, that's a win for me, being early at anything. But uh, happy birthday to our youngest. Uh, she is 11 years old today. Um, and, uh, we'll celebrate, celebrate that later after, uh, some Iowa football, uh, press conference today. Uh, I do have some questions from you guys. And I noticed there are some questions, uh, that were asked throughout the week and appreciate you guys doing that. Um, as I've said before, those that listen to the podcast, uh, have heard me say this before. If you use the hashtag HF mail, HF mail anytime uh, during the week. Um, I will go back and find your questions that you may have asked, uh, you know, between the two, the, between the previous mailbag podcast I recorded and the current one. Um, and I'll go back. I can just hit the hashtag and go back and find those questions and um, be able to answer them, questions, comments, what have you. Um, uh, da, 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 da. All right, so uh, uh, da, 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 da. I don't know if I hit this one. Um, maybe I did from DC Hawk and it's at DC underscore Hawk six uh, from September 14th. Uh, I believe that was the last time that I recorded a podcast, um, but I don't really remember answering this question. If I did, I apologize. Uh, but DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six asks, listen to Chuck Long podcast and he seemed concerned about the offense, mostly how conservative the play calling has been. Not much misdirection thoughts. Do you maybe not, do they maybe not trust Petrus to be more creative with the play calling? Um, yeah, if I answered this, I don't remember, but my memory sucks. So I apologize. And I think it's a good question. And obviously Chuck knows a lot more about football than I do. Um, I guess where I'm at with the creative 
play calling or conservative play calling or however you want to frame it. Um, I think you go with one factor that I think sometimes gets overlooked is game flow, uh, where you are in a game, you know, risk reward. Um, is it worth taking a risk uh, when you have a defense and special teams as dominant as Iowa? Um, I think that's kind of where they're at right now. And it's, 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 it's not cut and dried. I mean, you, you, you're doing what you think is best. Uh, you're calling the plays that you think are the best. Um, if you're ahead, you know, play the field position game with this defense and special teams. Um, but I think you're also right. DC and Chuck, you, you, you do eventually have to, be a little bit more creative and find ways. I mean, at this point in the season, uh, three games in, I think you kind of know what you have. Um, obviously, guys develop and offenses develop as the season goes on. And uh, maybe you find some things that you don't see in week one that you see in week five or week three and week five. And it's just a process going through uh, the season. But uh yeah, I think there's going to have to be some more creativity. Uh, you know, we saw some of that against Kent State. Again, you asked this question before the Kent State game. So, um, obviously, there, there were some things there that, uh, you know, I thought, the, I thought the first touchdown run by Tyler Goodson was a really good play call. Uh, you know, it was, I think, third and short, second and short, third and short, I think it was. Um, went kind of like with a jumbo package, a bunch of guys stacked into the line and then tossed to Goodson to the left. And he pretty much went on, no, not pretty much. He did go untouched into the end zone. Uh, that was obviously um, a play call that surprised the defense and really benefited the offense. So um, it, I would like to see some more of that stuff, but that's not always easy. Defenses are smart and they find ways uh, to combat what you're doing. They're reading uh, certain keys and, and maybe something you think that will work won't work. So, sorry, coffee sip there. Um, I think it, I'm not overly wound up about the offense right now. It certainly needs to be better. Um, I think whatever it averages, 225 yards a game, whatever the the average is, is among the worst in the country. Um, but they're finding ways to score points, and that's really the most important thing. But eventually the offense is gonna going to have to help out a little bit more. The defense isn't always going to be knockout. Uh, there may not always be special team success. Uh, little things that can happen where you're going to need the offense to carry more of the load. Um, we saw some cracks in the Iowa defense at times last week, but still only allowed seven points in that game. Um, now, you know, Kent state fumbled at the goal line or going into the end zone. That is obviously, uh, you know, that would have made the, the score 16 to 14 it would have been interesting to see how Iowa would have countered that offensively. Um, obviously Iowa had a 20 play drive, so you can put a 20 play drive together, uh, against any FBS opponent or any quality FCS opponent. 
that lets you know that there's potential offensively. And I think there is potential here offensively. Let's kind of see how it plays out. I wouldn't uh, let's kind of see how things develop and evolve during this season, but appreciate that question. DC Hawk, uh, Dan Brockett. He also checked in this week um, or actually uh, this may have been, I think it was after the last mailbag, but, before the Kent State game, it was September 15th, yeah, and the Kent State game was the 18th. But um, for the next, uh, Dan Brockett at Freakademic on Twitter asks, for the next mailbag, I'd like your thoughts on a metric I saw on a message board and tweaked slightly as maybe a more comprehensive way to think about yardage totals in a game. I will use the Iowa-ISU game as an example. Offensive yards, ISU 339, Iowa 173. Interception return yards, ISU 0, Iowa 47. Fumble return yards, Iowa Iowa State 0, Iowa 6. Punt return yards, Iowa State 11, Iowa 53. Kick return yards, Iowa State 0, Iowa 44. Gross punting, ISU 296, Iowa 409. Total, Iowa State 646, Iowa 732. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Someone also suggested only including kick return yards plus minus the 25-yard line, and I agree that would make it more reflective, but I don't have a quick way to do that, so I'm not using that as my example. Yeah, Dan, I think these are all important stats, those hitting yards, quote-unquote hidden yards. Uh, If you look, they're not hidden. Obviously, you looked and they're not hidden. Um, But I think what that means is more, um, I guess, what we historically look at as total yards, uh, being offensive total yards. Um, I've always been, um, you know, net punt yards, I think, are important. How many times can you down, you know, get the punt down inside the opponent's 20, uh, inside the opponent's 10. Those are things that I think you look at where field position starts. Um, I, I like, I mean, we've become much more analytical when it comes to sports, uh, viewing sports, analyzing sports, um, using metrics, things like that. I, I don't have a problem with this at all. And I actually like it. I think it tells a better story. Um, I've, you know, punt average is nice to be able to kick the ball far, but if you're kicking into the end zone and, and, the, and the opponent is coming out and starting with better field position, you know, a 30-yard punt that's down at the five is better than a 50-yard punt that comes back out to the 25 or 20, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think those are things that get lost in general um, – general, generally analyzing some of the traditional stats that we look at uh, total offense, total defense. Those are nice. And I think have a place and I think do tell part of a story, but scoring defense to me is the most important stat, right? That's more important than total defense. If you're, you know, um, allowing, you know, for sake of argument, 350 yards a game, that's not great. 400 yards a game, that's not great. But if you're only allowing, you know, 10 to 12 points a game, I think Iowa's allowing what? 
10 or 11 points a game, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter how many yards, um, you know, and that plays into the, you know, the term uh, or the, the uh, yeah, the term that we all have gotten accustomed to, which is bend but don't break defense. And I think there's some importance to that. Can you, you know, bow up when you're in the red zone? Can you keep teams from, you know, crossing the goal line? All of those things are important. Um, so I like this method, Dan, and I think it probably is a good way to analyze maybe an overall reflection of statistics in a given ball game. Um, because I, I think people kind of get their, you know, well, how the heck did, you know, such and such team win this game when statistically uh, it lost? And, and there are games that happen like that. But I think if you look at the, <clears throat> again, the quote unquote hitting yardage, um, field position, things like that, those are all important. Time of possession, again, I think that stat maybe gets overused sometimes. Um, it all depends on how a team is um, wired, how a team is put together on how important time of possession is. Um, one stat that I think is pretty true is turnovers. Um, you turn the ball over a lot and don't have many takeaways, that's going to kill you in the end. I think law of averages, I think that's a stat that needs to be emphasized more when we're looking um, at comparing statistics for teams. I know it is, but sometimes still people look at, you know, yards per carry or yards per play and things like that. You always have to factor in turnovers. Turnovers are always a big part of a ball game uh, and the outcome in ball games. And specifically over time, over, you know, the sample size of a season, if a team is, is good at taking the ball away and not good at protecting the ball, you know, that offsets. So yeah, that plus, plus, you know, turnover margin is really important. And that's the same in every sport. It's the same in basketball. So those are some things that I would think about, but I like this idea, Dan, I like uh, using analytics to a degree. I don't like to go overboard with analytics. I think sometimes people do go overboard with analytics, but uh, yeah, um, that's uh that that's a good way to look at it. And I think especially, especially with this Iowa team, I think those analytics and those metrics may even tell more of the story this season, as we kind of watch to see how this offense evolves and develops as the season goes on. Um, Kinnick under the kitchen at Ingle underscore Hawk cave asked on, I guess, September 20th. So this was yesterday. I think this may have been before I, uh, before I um, solicited questions. Um, but again, so you guys that are sending questions my way using the HF mail hashtag uh, during the week between the two podcasts, appreciate that. Uh, here's an example of being able to get back and answer those questions. Cause you may not remember on a Monday night, Tuesday morning, when I throw out the solicitation on Twitter for questions, uh, you may miss the boat. So good to get in whenever you have something that you think about. Um, I was interchanging or I was planning to interchange the uh, substance before style podcast and that mailbag podcast. It feels like during the season, the mailbag may take precedence over substance before style. 
if I have a substance before style, I may be more inclined uh, to throw that in here and there. But I think I'll probably stay during the season with more mailbag podcasts on Tuesday. Um, and then during the offseason, be more inclined to space the mailbags out a little bit more uh, and and, uh, and lean towards the substance before style podcast. I do encourage people to go back to the feed and listen to some of the substance before style podcasts. I think I got four of those in before the season started. So uh, those are fun, fun listens if uh, you like to move beyond the X's and O's a little bit. So. All right, so Kinnick, Kinnick under the kitchen at Ingle underscore Hawk Cave uh, asks, how can Terry Roberts get on the field more? It's like watching Bob Sanders on punt return. Yeah, well, he's a staple on special teams, Kinnick. So I think, you know, we'll continue to see him do his work on special teams. Riley Moss did not have a good game, and you hope that Riley against Kent State, and you hope that Riley kind of goes back to the film and learns and sees what Kent State did to him. The receivers, the receiver that was that took advantage of him on a couple of deep balls is a nice player. Dustin Crum is a good quarterback. I don't want to go overboard here. Um, but maybe there is potential to get Terry Roberts into a cornerback rotation a little bit and give, uh, give Terry Roberts a chance to get on the field a little bit more, maybe give Riley Moss a chance. Um, and maybe, maybe even with Matt Hankins, you can rotate the three of those guys. Um, it's just so hard on this defense. You've got so much depth with Jeff, Justin Jacobs trying to get him on the field. Uh, and then you pull Kim Von Merriweather off the field sometimes when, when, uh, when Justin comes on and you move Dane Belton back to strong safety. There are just a lot of guys that probably deserve to play. Um, Jamari Harris, I think, would start on a lot of teams at cornerback, uh, and he's Iowa's fourth cornerback. Um, I think Sebastian Castro would start at safety on a lot of teams. So, um, that's kind of just where they are, um, but we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Phil Parker has shown that he's not afraid if a guy is struggling to replace him. That's how Matt Hankins got thrown into the mix his true freshman year. Um, uh, Julius Brents last year struggled in the Purdue game. Uh, Iowa ended up going and putting Riley Moss back in there, and he kind of had stuck there. Uh, but, again, Riley had just did not play well on Saturday. Um, I don't know what it was, but uh, – you know, give Kent State some credit for knowing how to attack him as well or taking chances on how, how to attack him. So, yeah, um, I think we'll see more of Terry Roberts. He got in there. He played well. He had a better game than Riley Moss on Saturday. Will that mean? Does that mean he'll have uh, a bigger role moving forward? Time will tell. Um, if, certainly if Riley continues to struggle, it's nice knowing that you have a guy uh, as capable of Terry Roberts being right there ready to put in so we'll see where that goes um i wouldn't be surprised at all to see more of terry roberts but i'm also not ready to uh to throw riley moss under the bus yet um he obviously played well the first couple of weeks so um and has a, a track record of playing pretty well uh he has given up some plays during his career but that's somewhat the nature of the cornerback position so We'll see where that goes, Kinnick, and I appreciate your question as always. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Wombat Hat 42 at Wombat Hat 42 on Twitter 
Everyone seems too serious with the offense being good or bad, et cetera. So this question is to bring some levity. What is your ultimate KF era starting lineup? Um, and Wombat adds, note, I'm included with that everyone. So uh, he's also somebody wringing his hands. He or she is someone wringing his or her hands to, uh, about the offense. Uh, I'm going to go off the top of my head here, and I reserve the right to change this for me um, uh, to put a whole offense together. I would say uh, quarterback for me, I, I always go between Brad Banks and Drew Tate. Uh, just going for a one-game scenario here, I'd probably go with Brad, uh, tight end. That one's hard, uh, really hard. I would probably go with Hawkinson, uh, but I think you can make a case for Clark and Fant and Kittle and a bunch of guys. I would go with Hawkinson um, just because of how well-rounded he was uh, as an Iowa tight end and how much he stayed on the field and I don't know. I think the game has changed a little bit. I, I think he was a better blocker than Dallas Clark. Um, so that's kind of where I am there. So Banks, Clark, running back, I would go with uh, Liddell Betts over Sean Green. Fullback, Jeremy Allen. Receivers, I would go McNutt, Durrell, Johnson, Koulianos. Um And then offensive line, I would go Gallery, Steinbach, Linderbaum, Scherf. Uh, who am I missing? Offensive line, there are so many guys that it's so hard to, to pick. Maybe Riley Reef. Um, I know I'm probably missing somebody, but I, uh, who am I missing? I'm trying to think. I'm sorry. Uh, that's off the top of my head. Uh, Gallery, Steinbach, Linderbaum, Scherf, and Riley Reef. Balaga, maybe, instead of really Riley Reef. Uh, I'll rotate those two guys. I'll cheat a little bit at right tackle and rotate those two guys. So I'll throw that out there. There's a little levity for you, Wombat. I appreciate the question. As always, thank you for checking in. Uh, Andrew Sawvell at Andrew Sawvell on Twitter asks, what is Eric – Epines's status with the team uh, saw he was in the crowd this weekend instead of on the sidelines. Also uh, WTF dispenser have to do to get people off his back. Kid can't catch a break with fans. It seems. Okay. So they, they can only dress a certain amount of guys or maybe, I guess maybe you can dress more at home, but you, I mean, you, there are certain guys that don't dress. A lot of times it's true freshmen, uh, I think Eric was a mid-year enrollee. I think he came in in January, maybe. Um, so he was um, – this is kind of like his true freshman year. So he's on the team. Uh, it's just he's not he, – he didn't dress the other day. That could change throughout the season. Um, you know, he's – He's kind of a developmental project, so it's going to be weight room. It's going to be trying to develop him as a player. Um, and there are guys obviously ahead of him right now. So it's just a matter of him getting and watching the games. He's on the team. He practices, all that stuff. 
uh, but he just didn't, hasn't dressed so far for the games. Uh, and that certainly can change as the season goes on. I see that plenty of times throughout the years where guys start the season on the non-dress list and eventually advance to the dress list. But um, he's working his way up the ladder, so to speak. So that's kind of where he is right now. I don't know what Petrus can do to get people off of his back. I've gotten to the point now where I'm looking less uh, at social media platforms and message boards in terms of, uh, seeing how people criticize players. Um, but I, I can just imagine that he's taking the brunt of the blame for Iowa's uh, deficiencies on offense. Again, there's so many things that go into that, uh, just in terms of, you know, play calling, uh, assignments, blocking, all of those things. To put it just on the quarterback or giving the quarterback credit you know, overwhelming credit for an offense. There are times, but I just think that there's so much nuance to it that people lose sight of. It's more than just the quarterback. He needs to play better. Um, he misses too many throws. He's too inconsistent still. He knows that, though. Um, it's not like, you know, people are telling him, hey, you need to be better. He knows he needs to be better, and that's what he goes back and watches film and works – you know, every day to try to get better. Um, again, had a very uneven, uh, unprecedented, pr unprecedented first year of development. He's still a work in progress and um, working with a very young offensive line and overall, uh, you know, still you're looking at game flow, game plans, what, what is being asked of him and what he's able to do. I'm just not ready after three weeks to, you know, come up with some definitive review of a quarterback. Hopefully he keeps, you know, we hear people say, ah, quarterbacks don't develop under Kirk Ferentz or they get worse under Kirk Ferentz. Uh, if you believe that, maybe Petrus is the guy that continues to get better until he's plays his final game. Who the heck knows? But, you know, this offense, there's a lot asked of the quarterback. Just, you know, pre-snap reads, uh, post-snap reads, all of those things. I think he's doing fine. Uh, he's won nine games in a row. Uh, go look and check. There's a that's a short list of people that at, at, in Iowa football history as a quarterback that's won nine games in a row. You know, people saying that I was winning despite Spencer's play, I think is I just don't think that tells the picture and doesn't give the kid credit for what he does. The throw to Charlie Jones at Iowa State was outstanding. Uh, he's not turning the ball over. He understands complementary football. Let's see where this goes. Let's see where, you know, if we get to games later in the season and the offense is asked to, or is, you know, required to win a game late, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens you know, with games against Penn State, Wisconsin, he's going to have plenty of more opportunities. It's too early. Um, but to answer your question, Andrew, I don't know what it's going to take to get um, to get fans off his back. I mean, quarterback is just that position. We've talked about it on this podcast and the Hotspot podcast and everybody who, you know, um, discusses, analyzes Iowa football knows that it's the most 
criticized. It's the most analyzed position uh, in sports in this state with no professional sports. So he'll continue to get picked apart. But I think if Iowa continues to win ball games, what if Iowa goes 12-0 and and makes the college football playoff? Are people still going to not like Spencer Petras? Armchair quarterbacks, man. That's kind of the nature of the beast. You look back at that term and you understand kind of what it means. Thank you for the question, Andrew. Clint Harms at Until Game. I think finding that second and third option at running back is huge going forward this season. See 2015, your thoughts? Yeah, Clint, we've talked about this. And, you know, obviously um, there's some concern here with Ivory Kelly Martin and the fumbles. Uh, I think that's, you know, probably being addressed in practice. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of what Gavin Williams had on Saturday. Certainly got a chance to see him in spring and kids day practices. I think he's a capable running back. Uh, I think, um, I think LaShawn Williams, LaShawn Williams is a, uh, a capable running back as well. Uh, we saw him a little bit late the other day. Um, I, I just, I'm not ready to throw Ivory Kelly Martin out. Um, I think he still is that second option. Um, if, if the fumbles continue or they end up costing Iowa, um, I think this is a good week, not to belittle Colorado State, but this is a game that Iowa should be able to run the ball. Iowa should be able to win. Uh, try to get some of his confidence back. Try to, you know, um, what's the uh, term I'm looking for? Try to get, you know, that emphasis on giving him the ball and letting him work through this problem because he's a captain. Uh, he has a history of doing well uh, when healthy. Um, I don't think you can just, you know, say, hey, you're, you know, throw him out. Um, I think it'll develop, but I don't really worry about who, um, you know, say they're at Maryland and Ivory Kelly Martin fumbles early and they have to go with Gavin Williams. I think they're fine there. Say Gavin Williams gets dinged up. I think LaShawn Williams is okay. I don't know where Devin Hilson is yet in his development. We've talked about him as a guy that uh, didn't play a lot of running back uh, at Des Moines North. So he's still probably learning and, and I'm sure he's, um, He's taking most of the scout team reps in practice and getting banged on a little bit. But um, I think I was okay at running back overall to, to answer your question, Clint. But yeah, the, the fumbles are a concern with Ivory Kelly Martin. I still think you have to stick with the kid and hopefully he works through this and uh, becomes better with ball security. Uh, and, and I think he will. I, I just think, you know, I don't, I don't, it hasn't been an epidemic with him uh, throughout, uh, his career. So I just think it's something he, some of it is bad luck, uh, getting hit, you know, in a certain way here and there, but he has to be better. at, it. And, uh, I think he will be moving forward. So appreciate that question. Clint check in whenever appreciate that. Um, sit down at love the Hawks is Linderbaum the best center in the Ferentz era. Yeah, if you go back to uh, the previous question, I had him at center. I think he's emerged at that at, at this point there. Uh, this is what? He's third year as a starter, so um, he's definitely gotten to that point. Uh, I think, you know, the conversation before Bruce Nelson, um, James Ferentz, um, 
James Daniels, Austin Blythe, uh, been really good centers throughout. I think the, that's the discussion of the guys. Uh, Eubanks played well later in his career, Raphael Eubanks. Um, but I think it probably comes down to Daniels, Nelson, and Linderbaum. And uh, maybe Austin Blythe in there too, just from a college career. It's hard to say, but I think Linderbaum has separated himself now. Um, I think we'll see him. Uh, as the highest drafted center from Iowa, obviously. Um, and just to watch the film of him. And I kind of tried to concentrate a little bit on him more Saturday against Kent State from field level, just to kind of watch what he was doing. And there's a lot of times where, where offense is just avoid him. Uh, it's almost like he doesn't even need to block because I shouldn't say offenses, defenses will find ways to go at somebody else just to not have to go at him and try to stay away from the multiple blocks, you know, the ability of, of Tyler to be able to block multiple defenders on a given play um, is just really uncanny. It, it's, it's rare. Uh, and it's more, uh, it, there's so much that goes into it. It's the physicality, but it's also the preparation of knowing what the opponent's trying to do and knowing where guys are going to be to block them. So much goes into it and just, you know, the leverage and everything that goes into it. It's just really, I, I encourage people, even if you're not really um, somebody who focuses on offensive line play and, and is more focused on the quarterback and the skill positions and what they're doing and the running backs, um, watch Linderbaum just for, you know, maybe a half or a quarter. Just watch what he does. And uh, you'll understand even, you know, if it's if, if in even if you're not somebody who's uh, you know really knowledgeable about offensive line play, it's one of those things where you watch him and you understand and can see how good he is without even having to know really what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> you're watching what what he does and the, and what he's able to do to defenses. Um, it's just special. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's rare. And I, I would encourage people to soak it up while they can. Cause I, I think this is it for him. I know he talked before the season or during the off season about potentially coming back for another year. There really is no need for that. He's ready for the NFL. He could probably play in the NFL now. Um, in fact, I know he can play in the NFL now. So enjoy him for the rest of this season. Uh, really, again, I encourage people to watch him and watch what he does out there. It's, uh, it's fun. Tyler Anderson. Thank you for the question. Sit down as always, always Tyler Anderson at Ty Anderson, 21, another frequent, uh, contributor to the mailbag podcast asks out of the remaining matchups, other than Penn state and Wisconsin, which one feels like the trickiest one? Where could Iowa slip up? You always worry about, um, divisional games um, at Northwestern, even at Nebraska, that Black Friday's just you see weird things happen over there. Teams that I thought, you know, where Iowa was much better, Nebraska's hung around the Keith Duncan game winning field goal game, be an example. I thought Iowa was a much better team that year, and, and the Huskers kept it close. Um, I think the next one for me, Ty, is probably the one that's the closest and that's the Friday night at Maryland uh, a week from this Friday. 
it's just you're going halfway across the country. You're playing a team that's playing better, that's got really good athletes um, in an environment you don't play in much. Um, you're going to be the number five team in the country, national TV. I, I think Iowa wins the game. It's just a tricky spot. Uh, as you said, what's the trickiest one? For me right now, that's it. And I can change that moving forward. You know, I, I have a feeling in my mind it's going to be, you know, as Iowa continues to win, if Iowa continues to win, then you start in your head, okay, what's the next game that could be tricky? Um, but Maryland stands out to me as that one uh, right now. Obviously, you named Penn State and Wisconsin, and those are the two toughest games left on the schedule in my mind. But Maryland could be tricky. So to me, that's the one that that's the hurdle that needs to be cleared next. I think Iowa, without much trouble, will beat Colorado State. Um, and then it's got Maryland and Penn State, the two crossover games uh, left on the schedule after Indiana. So we'll see how that goes. And then after that, it's all West Division. So we'll see where it goes. And it's hard to know how teams are going to develop or evolve as the season goes on. So maybe a game that maybe looks easier now becomes more difficult later on. Minnesota certainly is a tricky one. Uh, I picked Iowa to lose that game before the season. I would change that prediction now, but it's still a team that I think is dangerous and one uh, where Iowa will have a, a larger than normal target on its back just because of the nature of that series, um, just because of the trophy, just because of Fleck, just because of, you know, taking Floyd and leaving the timeouts, all those things. I think that will be a game that will be focused on quite a bit Moving forward, um, DC Hawk is back again. I think I got your question last week, DC, but uh, earlier in this podcast. But uh, really great to see the running game get going in the second half Saturday. Still not sure about the passing game. It's so hard to see on TV, but is it possible the guys just aren't getting open often? I'm trying to find someone other than Peters to critique this week. Uh, and this is DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk 6, who I believe I started the podcast with with a question I may or may not have answered last week, but fresh question here from DC. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, it's such a fine line. It's such a split second decision often. Is the, is the receiver open enough for me to get, you know, is, is the window large enough for me to get the throw in there? Is it worth taking the chance of possibly turning it over? When we have such a good defense and special teams, do you take that chance? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as Spencer Petrus now, but yeah, I don't think the receivers are getting open uh, all the time. Uh, I think that's part of it. I think uh, the blocking is part of it. Uh, I think it's all, you know, all of the pieces coming together together, so to speak, that needs to happen for this offense to be more consistent. It's not just Petrus. He certainly is part of it. Um, and he makes throws and you see throws with him uh, that make you scratch your head both ways. Like, wow, that's really good. Or, wow, that needs to be a lot better. Uh, but we saw spent, or, uh, Tyrone Tracy get the ball in space on Saturday and fall uh, without being hit. Um, we see guys drop balls. Uh, we see guys not getting separation. We see Petrus not having enough time to throw at times. Uh, all those things. And sometimes maybe that's the running back not, you know, helping him block. Uh, there's so many things that go into it. So 
We'll see. Again, I'm not somebody who's even close to being panicked about this offense yet. I want to see how it can develop. Uh, I want to see how the offensive line continues to uh, develop, progress, evolve, all those things. So I'm not going to wring my hands of this stuff yet. I suggest you guys not as well. Enjoy the ride. I think it's life's too short to, to panic here and get too, uh, get too wrapped up in this stuff. Uh, and then lastly, Pat Hardy, uh, at Pat Hardy on Twitter, uh, the, uh, owner of Hawk fanatic who pays me for this podcast asks bigger surprise so far this season, Michigan state Rutgers or Maryland, uh, all are unbeaten. Michigan state is ranked, um, having won at Miami last week. Uh, a few people have checked in Scott Feldbush at S Feldbush. And then also Hawk, uh, Hawk for Life at MDOC54. They both say Michigan State. And I'm going to agree with them that it's Michigan State has more, um, has the, the more impressive wins so far. Uh, and they just passed the eye test. Got to watch some of them on Saturday before I headed over to Kinnick against, Mich- or against Miami. They just look like a good football team. Physical, can run the ball playmaker at quarterback, good receivers. Um, They added quite a bit through the transfer portal. um, And it shows um, because to make, I think to to make as big a jump as they made from where they were last year, the Spartans needed guys that were already ready, plug and play guys. And they've been able to do that and credit to, uh, Mel Tucker for being able to see what his team needed and being able to get it in the transfer portal. Uh, it looks like they're recruiting the guys that they feel fit the, you know, into their program and uh, doing a good job with that. So, yeah, I mean, credit to those guys, credit to, uh, you know, the, the Michigan state staff and what they've been able to do all those great years under Mark D'Antonio um, it looks like they're starting to get back and have a similar, uh, you know, ID, a similar, a similar DNA to playing physical, fast football. So, yeah, uh, I would definitely say Michigan State, but I also think Rutgers and Maryland are much improved, and that's good for the Big Ten. I mean, those are the two teams that were, you know, two two departments, at, you know, schools that were added the most recent recently to the Big Ten, and they've been for lack of a better term, punching bags in the football realm. And uh, it's good to see those teams being competitive. Uh, and that helps the, the, the you know, the, the brand. That helps the Big Ten image. That helps everything. So, uh, like I said, I think that that game at Maryland will be challenging for Iowa. Uh, don't get Rutgers this year, but I believe Rutgers comes back on the schedule next year and or at least soon and replaces that every year uh, crossover that Penn State's held with Iowa. So, yeah, good to see. I'm interested to see how the rest of this plays out. It's an interesting Big Ten this year. I think, obviously, Ohio State, you know, has shown some cracks in the armor, and it doesn't look invincible anymore. Michigan looks like it could be at least close to being back, although never – it's not to the no, – nowhere near my – my, no, I'm nowhere near ready to say that the Wolverines are back, uh, but certainly they've started well. 
Um, so, you know, Penn State looks good. Big win against Auburn. Iowa obviously has looked good and is the highest ranked team. Uh, Wisconsin gets Notre Dame this week. That's a big uh, game for the Western Division and for the conference. Uh, you know, Wisconsin beats Notre Dame and then Iowa wins at Wisconsin. That's even more ammo for the Hawkeyes. All those things are good. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a fun Big Ten season and the Hawks are right in the thick of it and leading the parade. So, good stuff. And uh, that'll do it uh, for this edition, for this episode of the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I appreciate the questions and comments from everybody. Uh, most likely we'll be back next week with the mailbag. As I said, it feels like I'm kind of in a groove with this right now and appreciate everybody's participation, keeping this thing rolling. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Have a great rest of your week. Uh, good luck to the Hawkeyes. Enjoy the game Saturday. Uh, and we'll talk to you a week from today.